Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. Now, in today's edition, I'm talking with my colleague and fellow dental legal consultant, Dr. Kieran Kashwara, about the place of imaging in dentistry. So, Kieran, let's start from the beginning. Well, Annalene, we've all heard the saying that a picture can be worth a thousand words. And I think for patients who, let's be honest, don't really look at their teeth in detail, I would say this holds very true. Yeah. And its benefit with imaging, of course, is not just limited to diagnosis, is it? I mean, so can you set out for us the types of imaging that you're considering when talking about how we can use imaging meaningfully in our discussions with our patients? Sure. As you will be aware, this is a rapidly evolving space in dentistry and there are many new forms of imaging that have come to the fore in recent times. Of course, we've got the traditional imaging that most of us would use day to day in practice, such as radiographs and photos that used to be taken for orthodontic treatment. Now we also have the options of adding intraoral photos, digital scans and CBCT images as well. I know some clinicians are now making videos of their patients while they're talking or in their day-to-day interactions because a video is going to give a picture of the real-time dynamics behind a patient's facial movement and function. As technology improves, all these modalities will become cheaper, more user-friendly and ultimately more widely used. I think it's important that as we become more advanced technologically, that we remind ourselves of the various aspects of this technology to ensure that we are holding up our professional and ethical obligations. Yeah, absolutely agree, Kieran. And this applies whether we're considering the more traditional approaches to imaging or those that are newly available, doesn't it? Yeah. And there are a number of ways imaging is used in the industry. And many times, even if we've used it for one primary purpose, we should also consider whether the image can have a secondary role as well. The main ways I think imaging can be used are for diagnosis and screening, education and communication, monitoring a condition such as whether there's been increased occlusal wear over a period of time, and of course record keeping. For example, when I use intraoral cameras, I use it a lot to educate my patients and to aid in my diagnosis, communication and explanation of treatments to patients. They are a fantastic tool for showing patients aspects of their dentistry that they may not have even been aware of, such as excessive occlusal wear. I'll also talk through what I can see on x-rays, such as bite wings with my patients, using terms that they can relate to, so that the image is not only a useful diagnostic tool, but useful in terms of supporting patient discussion. This can then flow on to using the images to support discussions around treatment options as well. When I see patients, especially new patients, my usual protocol is to take multiple intraoral photos to demonstrate things like their hygiene, any cavities or cracks, any teeth with questionable restorability or intraoral lesions such as ulcers. This helps with establishing the baseline record. How did the patient look when they first came to see me? And while it's not a part of my clinical workup, other clinicians may use lateral kefs or extraoral photos for orthodontic treatment or digital scans to review a patient's occlusion or occlusal wear. With me, I'll take these photos and x-rays and upload them onto a screen for the patient to look at and use them to explain and demonstrate any relevant issues showing on the images. As a result, I'll spend a big part of the first appointment simply talking to the patient about what their current condition is 
how it can be treated and what their treatment options are. Yeah, me too. And I think it's super helpful when you've got that big screen in your surgery and you're able to show the patient while you're explaining, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And the images certainly help with my discussions with patients, especially if they have several things that are an issue or may become an issue later on. So what I usually will do is take the x-rays and photos and put them up on the big screen for the patient to look at. And I'll use this to explain things to them, such as you have a hole in this tooth and it looks like it's going to be close to the nerve or you have lots of calculus buildup and we may need to work on improving your oral hygiene habits or you've got a tooth with a large filling and a small sliver of tooth. This tooth could develop a crack in the future. Yeah. And another role, which is equally as important, of course, is that the images can make up an important part of the record keeping process, don't you think, Kieran? And as you know, we're often asked if the imaging can be a substitute for written or typed records because of this. Yeah, and we're asked this quite a few times. And my opinion is that I don't think so, Not at least not yet, and certainly not as a full substitute. Rather, they make up a part of the records to be viewed in conjunction with the written records. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's funny because our dental board always asks for a copy of the odontogram and the written mm. records, which implies that they also don't think that the picture or the scan yeah. is sufficient to replace the written record, don't you think? Yeah, that's true. And I think when we're writing our records, you know, photos don't necessarily show what we're thinking Agreed. or the discussions that we've had with patients. You know, they'll show what the patient looks like at a certain point in time, but that's it really. And I think one of the main advantage of written or typed records is that it does show our thought processes. So while the image, such as an x-ray, can show a patient's condition at a particular point in time, it doesn't bring to light much more. Yeah, all the relevance, of course. So what do we need to consider when writing our records around imaging? As with all records, we need to be able to explain the what, the why and the how. For example, why did you take the x-ray? As we know, with radiographs, we need to follow the ALARA principles. That is as low as reasonably allowable. What was your interpretation of the x-rays? If you cannot interpret an image such as a coronal slice on a CBCT, you really need to consider whether it's appropriate for you to take the CBCT in the first place. We know that when a radiograph is taken, whether it's a bite wing, an intraoral, or an OPG CBCT, the expectation is that you need to be able to identify any pathology, or at the very least, be able to identify what normal looks like. And if you can't, Nowadays, the expectation is that we refer these patients or images onto someone who can interpret the information in front of us. Another thing our records need to demonstrate is how did you use this information, our clinical reasoning? Did you show the photos to the patient? If you did, great, put it in the records so that we can show that you had a detailed discussion with them about what you and they can see. Yeah, it's certainly a great means of education, diagnosis and recording. But I know that there are a number of things that we need to be careful of with imaging, Kieran, and I'm hoping that you're just going to list through those for us right now. Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you say, there are a number of things we need to be careful of when it comes to imaging. For example, and I know you've spoken about this before, it's possible and actually relatively easy, especially with Photoshop and other similar software, to amend images to make them suit the narrative that suits your purpose. I think it may actually be easier than amending written records. Uh, for example, after a patient complaint, we've seen obturation x-rays altered to show a complete obturation to the apex or to mask a perforation. That's terrifying, isn't it? That's very dangerous, yeah. Um, and as with rec written records, this would be highly inappropriate and unprofessional. And as easy as it is to amend images, 
it's just as easy to be shown that the images have been amended and this would bring your ethics and integrity into question. Another thing to consider is the safety of the storage of the images. As with all records, these images need to be held in a secure, password-protected manner to ensure that they are only accessed by those who need to access them. It goes without saying that there needs to be effective and secure backup too. Images, especially the images we get with CBCTs and scanners, can take up a lot of space, so we need to make sure that we have sufficient memory to keep these images without it affecting the capability of your technology. The workaround for size of the images is that some software will compress the images, and while this will save memory and space in your hardware, it may mean that when you review the images at a later date, the quality may not be as good as it originally was. The size of the images can also make sending them onto a colleague or to the patient at a later date quite onerous as well. You may not be able to send them by email and you may have to use a security-backed online option or put the images onto a USB. Another thing is around patient privacy. It's really easy for us to whip out our phones and take a photo of an x-ray or of an intraoral photo we've taken. And it's also very easy to share these images with friends and on social media. I think it's important to remember the patient's privacy and confidentiality before we send anything to anyone who should not or does not need to be seeing these images. If there's any possibility that the patient could be identified from the images, we also need to get the patient's permission and consent to, in effect, publish them. Billing for these procedures can also be a potential minefield. The ADA schedule of items very usefully details which codes we should use and when. For example, 071 and 072 is used for intraoral and extraoral images, respectively. There are other codes that can be used for digital scans of teeth as well. We have seen many clinicians get pulled up by the private health insurers for the inappropriate use of codes and are asked to pay back money. So before using any of the codes, we need to make sure that the codes used are the correct ones and the descriptor matches the treatment you have provided. I think also along this thread, we should be careful that we are fairly charging the patient for treatment provided. For example, we've all seen intraoral photos or x-rays which are completely blurred or out of focus or don't show what they need to show. Therefore, you know, rendering those images clinically redundant, but the patient or the health fund is still charged for it. Yeah, I think we have all seen that, Kieran. And I can think of examples where a practitioner has not had the ability to take bite wings hmm. in their surgery. So they've taken a different film, but then coded it as bite wings. Or they've taken bite wings and then coded it as four images instead of two. Yeah. When the reality of it is, is if it's a set of bite wings, it's a set of bite wings. It is if it's what it is. An yeah. OPG, yeah. it's an OPG. And yeah. there are some systems that don't let you charge certain codes. Yeah. But we shouldn't itemize treatment inappropriately to attract a rebate because there would be concern about the appropriateness of our billing if we were to do that. That's true. Um, I've I've worked in clinic where uh, patients attend with government vouchers, for example. I've taken an OPG. The government voucher doesn't pay for an OPG. And so some clinicians may decide to put through an intraoral PA or, an, or a bite wing, but that's not appropriate because that's not the code or that's not the treatment that had been provided. Yeah, it's not what you did. It's not best no, fit. Correct. Yeah. So thanks, Meg Kieran, for setting those out. Have you got any final things that you wanted to mention about imaging? Yeah, sure. So as I've said, imaging is becoming very prevalent in our day-to-day -day dentistry. Images, whether they're x-rays, photos, or digital scans, make an important part of the patient records and should be considered to be a useful adjunct to our written records. 
Despite this, they are most definitely not a substitute for written records as they do not demonstrate our thought processes, our discussions with the patients or the clinical aspects of the treatment provided. Along the same lines, we need to keep in mind all the things around traditional record keeping, that is patient privacy, they need to be contemporaneous unaltered records and they need to be stored for an appropriate length of time, which is usually up to seven years for adults. I do think images make communication and education of patients much more effective and efficient. And as technology improves and becomes cheaper, it's definitely an exciting and interesting time for this aspect of dentistry. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, I think it's something we're going to be talking about more and more over the years, particularly as AI comes in and starts to read our films and where things sit in that. So watch this space, I guess. Another podcast in itself. Uh, Isn't it? So thank you, Kieran, for today's relevant and helpful content. And thank you all for listening. We do hope this podcast was helpful to you and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.